You're listening to the Rediscovering Biblical Manhood podcast. We're growing men who fear the Lord, but do not fear their identity in Christ. The enemy is hard at work in our fallen world. So come on, join us in fighting for the restoration of men's hearts through the church, the word, and our risen Savior, Jesus. Back at it again, another week of the Rediscovering Biblical Manhood podcast. Jay, welcome to this week's call. Oh, Chica, it's great to see you. I am really looking forward to kicking off this new series. So talk to me about it, Jay. What do we got today? We've got episode one of Prodigal Husband. And so what are we talking about? I'm excited about this series. And listeners, we're going to be camped out on this topic for a while. We're going to talk about what does it mean to come home and be the husband our wives need us to be and that the Bible calls us to be. So if you're not married, I hope, we hope, Chica and I hope this will be a really helpful series for you to kind of peek in on the married life. But if you're married, I'm really excited you're here, man, because this whole series is going to be about how do we return to our marriages or for the first time enter into our marriages in the way that God designed it to be. Re- really excited to talk about this. So let's open with some prayer, Chica. First, I want to I want to just say, Jesus, we draw this series, this episode under your authority. This is not an area the enemy wants us to address. So, God, we ask that you would bless Chica, bless myself, bless the content, bless everything about what we're going to do. We ask that you would hold the enemy at bay as we really dig in on what does it look like to be a biblical husband and dig through some materials that are going to be sensitive, open some boxes that people would rather be shut and God, we just ask that you bless this series, and it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray and turn it over. Amen. Amen, amen. So, Jay, before you jump into, I know you've done a lot of preparation around this. Um, for those listeners that may be a little dusty, talk to us about Luke 15, the prodigal son, real quick, and just make that correlation to why that applies here. I love that story, and that story really is about three characters, the father, the prodigal son, and actually his brother who never goes prodigal. And so it's a really amazing story. But ultimately, it's about a son who leaves, takes his inheritance, goes and blows it all, has the realization that, man, I'm blowing it, and and wants to go home, but he's afraid to go home. Because in the culture they're in, when you do something like that, like you're out, you're dead to them, because the father is humiliated. His father's humiliated in the in the tribe, right? In the village, because in the, in that culture, when a son goes prodigal, like you failed as a parent. And it's this beautiful story of the son coming home to say, I won't even attempt to be his son anymore. I'll just beg to be a servant in his household. And then this father in re-embracing the son, ignoring the son's story, forgiving the son saying you were dead and now you're back. And so that it's that return and new life that I love about that story and and how it relates to what we want to talk about is, you know, your wife did not give you permission to go prodigal as a husband, of course. So that part of the story maybe doesn't necessarily apply. My wife also doesn't, you know, get in the fatted cow and carve that up when I return as well. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But, but let me tell you what is true. Like, like the father in the story who was always standing at the proverbial kitchen sink, looking out the window and longing for the sun your wife is waiting for you to come to this marriage Mm. or come back to this marriage. She's desperate for it. And when you do, maybe not right away, but she is going to embrace it. 
and and it is going to lead to beautiful things if it is done in the right way. And that's really here now. We also don't have the the angry brother who didn't go bad in this story, like in the prodigal son. And let's hope there's not another man in your marriage. But you know, there there's some aspects of the prodigal son that really relate to what we're going to talk about: this coming home and being new in the relationship and taking it to the level that God wants it to be at. As a man thinking through that, but I also sense that some of our listeners perhaps may say, well, it's too late. Well, I, I, that's going to take work. Well, it would definitely take work. But let me tell you a little story about how we got here, Chica, why this is such a passion for me and for you. You and I talk about this all the time. You know, my wife and I met young. She was 14. I was 16. We started dating when, you know, she's 18. I'm 20. So we've, we've known each other 30 years now. We've been together for 26 of those years. We've been married for 20 of those years. And I thought it was going pretty well. You know, one of the hallmarks of our early relationship, we never fought. We were famous. Hey, those those two never have a fight. Um, you know, we we had, we had a great young marriage. And my career was blossoming. We moving around the country. Things are going on. We're having little babies. And, you know, she's pregnant with our fourth. She's standing at the kitchen sink. I'll never forget where we're at. We're in our little kitchen in Round Rock, Texas. And she says, you know, I think we need to go to a counselor. And, and I'm like, what? For what? And she goes, I don't know, man. There's just something in my spirit that's not settled. And I, I really think we need to go to a counselor. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm flexible. Like, for sure. So we go to the counseling session and we talk for an hour. And, and the guy says, you know, I, I don't really even know why you guys are here. Like you seem like a really healthy couple and I love your story, but, but do me a favor. And, and the secular guy, if I remember right, not even a Christian counselor, or he may have been, but he says, I have a survey I like couples to fill out and you do this individually. And I want you all to go home and, and take your time, go through the survey. It's this online survey, you know, like whatever, 80 questions took a while and then come back. Let's have one more session. And then, you know, we'll, we'll probably pretty much end it there. And so we go home and we do the survey and we're living our life and we go back for the second session and we come in and the guy's got this look on his face, Chica, like he's got this look on his face and it's a little uncomfortable. And, you know, we're sitting there, Kelly's there, I'm there, she's big pregnant. And he says, are you two thinking about divorcing? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that's what he says. That's, how, a... he, uh, that's how he opens the session. And I go, what? what? I, no, what do you, we don't even fight, dude. Like, what are you talking about? Mm. And he holds up the survey results and he says, your survey results are so bad. This is, this is what it looks like when a couple is about to implode and divorce. Whoa. So I'm just wondering if you all have been talking about divorcing. And, and I mean, Kelly and I are just, we're just stunned. But it started- Well, hang on, hang on. Stunned because he was right? Stunned because you just didn't expect that? Like, what was the stun? No, we're completely shocked because, A, we've never had those conversations. We've both felt we had a really great marriage. And Kelly just had this check in her spirit and thought we needed a little fine-tuning. She wasn't even sure. Now, my wife, is she hears from the Lord. And her mm. like she's an amazing woman who gets these feelings, and, and they, they bake for a while. So I, you know, at this stage of my life, I've become really in tune when Kelly's talking about something. I start paying attention. But back then, we're early in our Christian walks, you know, early in our marriage. We're young. I'm in my early 30s. You know, we, we didn't have that level of understanding. And, but we hadn't been having trouble in our marriage that you would typically identify as trouble. So we were stunned because we're like, what, what are you talking about? Like what? But this starts this, you know, now 12-year, almost 13-year-plus journey of what Kelly and I have called preventative counseling. And thank God for it. Because God must have known all of the crazy stuff that was going to happen in our lives over the next 13 years from that moment. Without that counseling, I am sure mm. we would have been 
divorced, but that's been going on. And then oh, Chica, really unhappy. Oh, really, really unhappy. But what's interesting is, you know, Chica, while we made a lot of progress, there was still something missing. And my wife had constantly said, there's something not clicking. My wife says, turning a dial. There's a dial that needs to be turned. And it used to drive me nuts. We were talking about anger in our last series. Talk about something that annoyed me. Every time she would bring that up, I would be like, Kelly, what are you talking about? We do all this counseling. You know, we have all these amazing skills to communicate now. You know, when we have disagreements, we're able to work our way out of them in this super healthy way. Our kids are healthy. Like what, why are we always trying to turn? What are you talking about, babe? Mm. And then, you know, Chica, you and I, a couple of years ago, led this small group study for men. And we stumbled on a book called Becoming a King by Morgan Snyder. We came across a passage and I know, you know, it set me on fire right away. And here's what Morgan says. He says, as I've sat with dozens of sages who have given their lives to walking with God, so he's talking about real Christian men, not even, you know, the average man. These are, these are men who are, are, are older. They've dedicated their lives to Christ. I've unearthed a startling pattern. All these men, mature and heroic in their own right, fit over time into one of two groups. The first lands in a posture of good enough as far as what they have grown to expect in their marriages. They draw unseen lines in their marriages around relational minefields, choosing to engage only in the safe zone, but not disrupt deeper layers of the false self in either their spouses or themselves. As a result, their marriages function more as a state trade agreement than as a union growing and maturing in oneness. Whether this manifests in managing the finances or raising the children, these no-fly zones point to underlying fissures of disunity. At the core of these marriages seems to be some deep agreement of formidable limits placed on what is available between husband and wife. And I remember reading that paragraph going, whoa, what? that scares me, right? Because Chica, you and I are Christian men. We mm-hmm. want to rule as kings in his kingdom. We want to be growing. We want to be those guys. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want a marriage that's essentially superficial. Or, or good enough. And we've spent plenty of hours talking about, you know, I'm good enough or I'm a good person. Well, and what's scary is it's very unbiblical. So then he goes on to say, and then there is union. Oh, it is the rarest treasure I've witnessed on the earth. Truly the pinnacle of human relationship. I have had the privilege of sitting with sages who have chosen unity over disunity. They have relinquished self-protection, self-salvation, and every external title, measurement, and outcome they were once committed to in order to lay hold of the full portion of what is available between a man and a woman in relationship under heaven. The men and women in these marriages have fought for, invested in, and cultivated a lifestyle of increasing unity. And though coming again and again to the center of each other's hearts and story, They have chosen to become increasingly aware of the impact they have on one another, particularly in their sin and brokenness, but also in their joy and strength. Each husband has made a fierce commitment to contend with the plank in his own eye so he can become the kind of man who is able to tend with great care and patience to the speck in the eye of his bride. He Hmm. has learned to lead with, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? These couples have chosen to reflect the quality of relationship found in the Trinity alone. Each spouse is so full of love that they are unwilling to merely be served by the other's submission. Instead, each is intent on out-loving, out-giving, out-serving, and out-cherishing the other. And I know, Chica, when I read that portion, I, I remember calling you and like we're talking about like, that's the marriage I want. And I actually remember bursting into our counselor's office going, this is the marriage I want. And then I remember thinking, 
all those years of counseling, all that stuff, that dial turn Kelly was talking about, I realized there are unspoken areas in our marriage that we do not go. And we do not have what counselors call the unguarded self with the unguarded self in many of these areas. And it actually limits our intimacy. It limits our connectivity. And we are not continuing to grow towards that marriage Morgan was outlining. And, and it just, um, boy, that's just been with me for the two years since we read it. That no-fly zone. I know that so many men are hovering there right now and it may not be holistically like they may have a want or a yearn to get towards the second zone that we were speaking to or that you were speaking to there or morgan was speaking to you know i think we'll unpack a lot of that chico as this unfolds what i would say today is what is the basis of this series so the basis of this series is what we just read from morgan if you're a biblical man and you're here listening to this podcast then you're committed to saying i want to and morgan calls it submit to the ancient path of growing in my manhood. And so Chica, that's what this podcast is all about, right? We want to help men grow as biblical men. We want to bring them information on how to do that. So thinking about that passage and then thinking about what is the first institution God builds after the fall? It's mm. marriage. It's marriage right there in Genesis 2, 24, right? What does Genesis 2, 24 say? It says, the man will leave his father and mother and shall cleave, cleave unto his wife and they shall become one Flesh, one flesh. And, and what does that mean? In, in English, that one flesh, we say it means to glue, to adhere, to join, to stick. But the, the Hebrew word there is a word called dabak, and it means something much deeper. It means to abide in, to hold fast together, to follow. And so, you know, I think what we really want to do is set the foundation for the series to say, we want to explore what does being one flesh truly mean? What does it mean? spiritually? What does it mean in the area of your finances? What does it mean in the area of your intimacy, in the area of your communication? Because that passage in Genesis 2.24 is anchored in the rest of the Bible, Malachi 2.15, Mark 10, 7 through 8. And it sets up exactly how God is going to view Jesus in the church. Marriage is God's primary institution for relationship, for recovery, and for the reflection of the Trinity, because he exists perfectly three in one. And so, you know, th there's just so much to explore. So really, listeners, we're, we're going to have a series with a number of different topics. But ultimately, it comes back to Genesis 2.24. You as a man are designed differently than your wife. You are equal before God, but you have been granted spiritual authority in your relationship. If you're going to have the marriage you want, men, you got to lead it. Your wife, man, she's going to be there. She's going to respond. She's designed to respond. She wants to respond. And I think what Chica and I would say, and I'll kick it back to Chica for his thoughts on this, is we have got to step into this as men and say, I, I am called to leave my mother and father and, and find my wife and cleave to her in one flesh. And what does that mean? It means there is no more I. It is we. I do not make money. We make money. I do not. I, I, and my kids and I have talked about this all the time because they'll say, dad, you make so much money. I say, no, you know, we, you know, so much money to a kid is like, right. Hey, you have a hundred dollars. You have so much money. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but I always try to be quick to say we, and they go, well, mom doesn't make money. She stays home. I go, Oh, first of all, mom, mom's job is about 10 times harder than dad's. Let's unpack that. But it's a, we, I work outside the home. So mom can work inside the home because we have decided we want to raise our family a certain way. Our money is our money. There is no dad's money and mom's money. It's just an example. And for the listener that's kind of leaning in right now saying, yeah, yeah, I get it, Jay. 
there is no I in team. There is an M and an E, but it's still a we and all of the, the our culture, the enemy does not want what Jay just said. We we talked about in earlier episodes how the the wussification, I guess we could say, of the the male character has been portrayed over the last two decades from Homer Simpson to Al Bundy, you go all the way back, Jay, to even now in some of the I mean, even the office, you know, one one of the more more relevant that males shouldn't be leading. In fact, let's let the women, diversity and inclusion, come up alongside and have them be empowered as well. That's not what we're talking about here, and that's not what we're going to drive into uh, during our conversations because Scripture is calling us to do something more. Scripture is pulling us into a different direction, and that one flesh is just so refreshing and scary at the same time, Jay. So scary. And I think what you're saying is so important, right? Um, women's empowerment is critical. If you read the Bible, if you really read the Bible, I'm going to say something that may sound crazy. The Bible is the greatest women's liberation document ever written. God empowers women, drives women's empowerment. Women are so important to God. They are the crown jewel of creation. And we said in an early episode that biblical manhood is the foundation upon women's empowerment can be built. Like, so you're exactly right, Chica, but there is this unique authority a man has in his marriage to say to bring this humility this connectedness that drives that one flesh and i think you know as, as we wrap up there's a challenge that chica and i want to leave you leaving this episode as we head into a series that will unpack a lot of things where where ask jesus this week this is the challenge where in your marriage are you not living as one flesh where in your marriage are you not living as one flesh ask the question identify it and then just ask jesus well, what should I do about that, Lord? And, and frankly, you might not have the skills to know what to do about that. You may be able to identify it and be like, I don't know what to do about that. And if you don't, look, hopefully we'll get to it on the podcast or you can email us in the show notes and we'll address it. If, if you're like, look, I, I identified something. I have no clue how to go after it. Hey, email in a question. She can, I'll be happy to do research and go after it. So many different areas to think about there, Jade, too, in marriage. Is it when I'm one-on-one with my wife? Is it how I parent? Is it how I want to do what I want. I want to go play golf this weekend. Is that one flesh? You know, I'm going to go to the grocery store and just because I can, I'm going to grab this milk creamer, not that milk creamer. Is that one flesh? Is that the we or is that the me? Jay, and I'm so looking forward to walking down the topic of prodigal husband. So thanks again for a lot of insights this week. Listeners, good luck, good reflection, and we'll pick it up next week on Rediscovering Biblical Manhood podcast.